Say hello to a new era of mental health care. Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support. 100% online. You'll experience the all-new Cerebral way, an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you. You'll get a personalized treatment plan from a therapist, prescriber, or both in a safe and judgment-free space. Your cerebral therapist or prescriber will outline a customized plan with clear milestones along the way, so you can get to feeling your best. With Cerebral, you're not alone in your mental health journey. We're here to empower you to live a fulfilling life. So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at Cerebral.com slash podcast and use code ACAST to get 15% off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details. Melbourne can be a cold city, especially if you're poor. It could be powerfully bitter when the south wind came in straight off Port Phillip Bay, over the terraces of Emerald Hill and into the stone-edged streets of the capital. Then it felt like it was about to snow, though of course it never did. Not like when she was growing up in Ballarat. Winter of 73, when she was 12, it snowed like a bastard. Everything turned to white. Water froze in the buckets, washing froze on the lines. Alice's father nearly froze to death when he fell asleep on the porch after not quite making it home from the pub. Would have been better off if he had, her mum said sourly as they dragged him in to thaw out in front of the range, blood vessels in his cheeks all broken and angry from the cold. Trust your father, he couldn't even get dying right. But of course, he eventually managed it, just dropping in the street one day, not coming or going from the pub for once. Then her mum had found out that, despite her husband being a habitual drunk and a womaniser and not much an ironmonger, his income was at least something. And without it, times were a lot harder. Alice's older siblings were already working, the boys in the mines and the girls in service, but there were three more behind her, who still needed to be fed and clothed. So when Alice got offered a job living in with the Palmer family, who managed one of the big gold mines in Ballarat, her mum jumped at the chance to get her off their ticket. Didn't matter that Alice didn't want to go. Didn't want to live in a house with creepy Mr Palmer and his handsy sons, always touching her when she served at table, cornering her in the pantry and slipping their hands up her skirts. She was someone else's problem now someone else's mouth to feed, and a source of money coming back into the family coffers. That was the first time she had fallen pregnant, though it didn't stick. She was just 15, and didn't know how to say no to the youngest son of the man who paid her wages, who told her she was pretty to her face but put his hand over her mouth when he cornered her in the linen closet. She didn't have anyone to tell, didn't dare ask the other girls if it was happening to them too. Then the blood came running, thicker and faster than normal. It wasn't till she told her sister Rosie, who'd worked for the Palmers years before, that she realised what must have happened. You're not the first, and you won't be the last, Rosie told her from behind her own swollen belly, 
a respectable married woman now, with a little one already at her skirts. Her husband, Arthur Strutt, worked in a timber mill, turning the trees which once stood around Ballarat into a forest underground, shoring up the shafts and tunnels of the endless mine. He didn't drink. Alice thought he was boring. I'd get out if I were you. Might not be so lucky twice. Alice was momentarily confused. Where had luck come into it? It was Rosie's idea for her to go to Melbourne. Tell Mrs Palmer that you're in the family way, and in her family way too. She'll know what you mean. Tell her you need money to go to Melbourne and a good reference. You'll get a job there easily. Get out of this stinking town. Rosie had rubbed her protruding abdomen, wiping off a couple of flies which had settled there. There's no future here, and no future for you if you keep on paying all your wages to Mum. The doubt must have shown on Alice's face. She'll be all right. You'll be all right. You'll see. Just go. Rosie had been right about Mrs Palmer, at least. Alice had gone to her in the primrose sitting room on the shady side of the house and told her just the barest of details. She felt bad dobbing in Jake because in some ways he was a nice kid, but he really shouldn't have done those things to her. He... he wasn't a gentleman, she said in a quiet voice, looking down at her feet as primly as possible. I didn't know what he was doing. Mrs Palmer, all her fine gowns and rock-studded rings in her sickly yellow room decorated about with swags of velvet and chintz, had sad eyes. She gave Alice the princely sum of two pounds, gold coins minted from the produce of her husband's mine, a letter in her own hand extolling Alice's domestic virtues, and a ride to the railway station in the family's own brougham. Alice didn't bother going home to the cottage to say goodbye to Mama and the young ones. Her heart would have broken to say goodbye to her little sisters and brother, and her mum just would have made her stay. As the train rattled through the dusty countryside, descending down from the plateau to the sea at Geelong, and then onwards to the city which gold had built, she had a sense that she wouldn't see her family again. So far, she hadn't been proved wrong. It didn't bother her anymore. So, to the cold city. Rosie had been frustratingly light on detail about what Alice should do when the train finally clanked and hissed to a stop at Spencer Street, a not much grander station than the one she had left. The city, though, that was something to see. Street upon street of tall buildings carved out of blue-grey stone, blocking out the watery sun and creating tunnels for the wind to whip down. Behind the grand facades lay a labyrinth of back streets and what her mum would have called twitchels, little passageways and alleys running between blocks and buildings so as many buildings as possible could be built on each little parcel of land. Into these laneways, the light didn't reach at all and Alice quickened her pace when she walked past their darkened moors. She might be a back blocks girl from Ballarat but she knew a thing or two. There were plenty of lodging houses on the west side of town, sucking up the immigrants, sluicing off the ships from home and from across the Tasman. Alice found a place at what seemed to be a respectable establishment, one of a flock of new girls being sucked into the boom town, all competing for places and positions. There was plenty of demand for servants, 
It seemed that here in the city of opportunity, few of the new arrivals wanted to be stuck in someone else's house, big or little, being some other woman's slave. Didn't leave me home and come all the way here in a feckin' tub to be serving some old wagon, her roommate, an Irish girl called Clodagh, told her as she curled her coal-black hair in papers. Although she wasn't much older than Alice, Clodagh's breasts were prodigious, which was just as well, as she had what Alice's brothers would have described as a face like a dropped pie. I'm getting me a shop job. Not so Alice, who was happy to take whatever she could get, from her dirty, noisy room, the sounds of drunks in the street and the smell of boiling laundry drifting up to her, she wrote careful letters to the housekeepers of several well-to-do ladies recommended by Mrs Palmer. In return, gaining a place among the lowest of the low in the household retinue in a shining new mansion on the south bank of the river at Turak. Here, Alice discovered how hard and long a body could work and still stay alive, albeit barely. 14 hours a day for the first five days of the week, 16 hours on a Saturday, and from 10 in the morning until 2 in the afternoon on Sundays, with a quarter of an hour for breakfast time and the same for dinner. Alice didn't have the energy to be unhappy about it or to think about getting another situation. When she wasn't working, fetching, carrying, scrubbing, washing, sweeping, beating and mopping, she was usually asleep. The only bright light was that her employer, Mrs Bunning, was a recent widow with a house full of daughters, so opportunities for impregnation were reduced, if not obliterated. There were still male servants, especially in the gardens, but they could largely be avoided with a little cunning and she got to keep all her wages for herself, though sometimes she still felt a pang for her mum and her siblings and wondered how they were rubbing along. She was more stunned than relieved or distressed when it all came to an end. Mrs Bunning died, apoplexy in the rose garden, and to cover her debts and those of her late husband's company, the house was sold, the daughters dispersed and the servants laid off. Back in the city, in another boarding house, Alice tried to decide what to do next. And then came the accident. Alice always thought of the words with capital letters, as it had proven to be the most significant event in her life so far. Crossing the street at the corner of Burke and King one day, on her way to be interviewed for a position as a shop girl at Buckley and Nunn, The wheel of a carriage had bumped into a pothole and it had overturned in front of her. Alice saw the rim of the rear wheel as it careened towards her, but it could only raise an ineffectual hand as it knocked her to the ground. That hand got crushed by the wheel, the bones like matchsticks in the pulpy flesh. She dragged herself upright and sat there on the curb, staring at the blood on the blue stone rather than the brightness staining her sleeve. It was the shock, she supposed. She couldn't feel any pain. Not then, anyway. She was lucky, she supposed, that it hadn't been worse. At least she was only a little bit crippled. She wasn't disfigured or anything. And once her hand healed, within the rough splint she wound around it, she would still be able to use it, for light duties anyway. But that took weeks. In the meantime, she had no way of working, no way to stop her precious savings from trickling away 
while she wondered what on earth a girl with a withered hand, who couldn't clean or scrub or carry or serve in a shop or at a table or make things in a factory, could do to keep body and soul together. Turns out, there was only one thing. After the accident, she couldn't afford the room she'd had near the station and had to move to a cheaper and less salubrious part of town, up on the northeast side of the city, to a run-down wooden house presided over by a fearsome landlady called Mrs Bricks. There were a couple of girls there, Lucinda and Dorcas, who were kind to her after the accident, helping her change the dressings on her hand when the blood soaked through, and strapping it up as the bones slowly healed. They too had come to Melbourne looking for jobs and had found their calling with Mrs Bricks. There's nothing to it, they said. Short hours and good money. It's not like you haven't done it before. At least this way you get to choose when and where. Alice didn't want to do it, resisted it with all her being. But as the last of her coins chinked down on the counter to be secreted in Mrs Bricks's ample bosom, she knew she had no choice. She followed her new friends to where they worked in the hotels up the Parliament end of Lonsdale Street, smiled her smile, lifted her skirts, took the money. She found it wasn't much worse work than skivvying, and the pay and the hours were better. If you took care of yourself and your friends, you could keep safe. Everyone kept an eye out for each other, and no one crossed Mrs Bricks. It felt like she was part of a community, Everyone knew everyone in the streets and lanes around Little Lon, from the grocers and the pawnbrokers to the publicans and the policemen. There were lots of women like her, making their own way and being their own boss. Nobody minded and everybody cared. And Alice thought, maybe this is something I could do, to work my way out of this hole and make something of my life. And for the first time since she had come to the cold city, she felt hope. Botox Cosmetic, out of botulinum toxin A, FDA approved for over 20 years. So, talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you. For full prescribing information, including boxed warning, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. Remember to ask for Botox Cosmetic by name. To see for yourself and learn more, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. That's BotoxCosmetic.com.